Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding our last episode discussing how to get Ireland cycling, the pros and cons of cycling in Dublin and across the urban centres, and how we can get more people on their bike. You can still listen back to our podcast on Newstalk.com or on iTunes, and as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea. Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we'll be discussing Ireland's childcare services. We'll be asking what more can be done to improve the childcare sector here. To discuss, we're joined in studio by our panel, the chairperson of the Association of Childhood Professionals, Marion Quinn, and also Tanya Ward, who's the chief executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. My thanks to you both for joining us today. Um, perhaps maybe I might just start with yourself, first of all, Marion, whether you're, whether you're paying through, if you like, the public or the private sphere, What's available to people at the moment? If I've just had a kid, I want to return to work. Mm-hmm. What are my options? Um, well, there's in terms of types of provision. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's there's family support, which is hugely used in Ireland. Um, but out of out of family, there's uh, childminders and there's also creches. Um, so um, and that would go from kind of typically children that are maybe six months up. Um, and so while the services are available, as in it, potentially parents could use it, um, there's a huge shortage of spaces for young children. Um, so I suppose a lot of parents would find that they're actually not going to get um, a space for their child in the crash. I mean, we hear of parents who have booked their children in, you know, while their parents mm-hmm. are pregnant, you know. And um, so, I mean, there's, there's a shortage of spaces in terms of that. Um, so I suppose a lot of people who would be kind of, you know, trying to get somebody in the family who would who would provide support um, are childminders. And that's something that's kind of changing now as well, because, um, you know, up to date, it's, it's childminders have been fairly unregulated mm-hmm. unless, you know, they kind of meet the two-slow requirements, in which case, you know, if they've got a certain number of children, they get to register with them. Um, but, uh, you know, in the main, um, child minding hasn't had regulations and okay. um, hasn't had oversight. So that's something that's kind of changing now. You mentioned, obviously, the family support network. Mm. We have the crashes and we have kind of the, the, the child minding provision sector. In terms of um, for, for parents, what are they entitled to? What are the supports that are there at the moment? I suppose just first of all, to kind of set the scene for people, I'm just trying to get my head around what exactly are people entitled to in terms of public support? Yeah, well, um, it, obviously maternity leave um, and we've got the, you know, the kind of maternity two weeks, you know, for, for yeah. the dads, um, which is, you know, kind of increasing and, and the state is looking at increasing maternity leave as well. But when it comes to the child going into, you know, kind of whether it's child minding or whether it's going into a crash, there's very little support available at the moment. You know, I mean, it's, you get maybe up to 20 euros, but they're looking in, in September at bringing in the national childcare scheme and that's looking at providing greater level of subsidies you know for parents and it's kind of you know at different age groups you know it's, it's, there's a different rate of subsidy mm. and we don't have all the details of that yet um, but it is something that the government have been doing a big campaign in terms of rolling out and trying to get parents aware of this scheme because and um, the parents will need to have a public service card and they will need to have a, a MyGov you know kind of verified account um, to be able to okay. to be able to avail of that. Just in terms as well Marion just before I go to Tanya um, the, 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 there is obviously though a preschool 
yeah. system yeah. for young children as well. So so parents do get some little bit of reprieve in terms of one year of their kids' life. Two years. Two years after yeah. it. Um, yeah, so it was increased. So there's there's two years of provision where the children get 15 hours um, per week of early childhood education and care. And I suppose, it, so so and that is obviously, you know, it's money that's taken off the bill, you know, if, if the child is in full daycare or part-time daycare. So it, it is some help, you know, for parents. But I suppose, you know, it's the wraparound services that are, the parents are looking because, you know, if, if a parent is working um, they're going to need support for longer than three hours and actually you know I suppose by the time they drop that child to you know the kind of preschool and, and mm-hmm. collect them you know it, it, uh, it doesn't allow them to kind of you know avail, avail of the workforce um, but yeah that certainly is there and that's like since 2010 it was a one year um, well 38 weeks a year um, whereas now it's gone up to the okay. two years from the child time a child is two years and eight months on. Can I ask you Tanya Ward Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance I mean effectively what we're saying to parents is we want people in the workforce particularly women we're trying to attract more women back into the workforce but really what we're giving as Marion pointed out is 15 hours per week per kid for two years of the child's early stages of their life well, I mean, if you, I think you have to look at what's on offer in the round. As Marion said, there's maternity leave, but in the last budget, the government also uh, introduced paternity leave for seven weeks. So it's trying to increase the, the amount of time you can stay at home with your baby. And to be honest, that's what most families want. They want to be able to stay at home with the baby as long as possible. And I suppose we like to see a situation in the Children's Rights Alliance where families can stay up to a year. In other countries, that might be two years. Um, and it's, you know, it's a more family friendly uh, type of environment babies like to be with their, their their key caregiver So just just to take account of what's statutory Tanya mm-hmm. at the moment in terms of the maternity and the paternity yeah. parents would be entitled to how many weeks out of the so year So if you're let's say you're a mum you're entitled to 20, 26 weeks then you can have an additional 7 weeks of paternity leave uh, within the first year so that will give you another you get the government subsidy again it's the equivalent of the maternity leave payment for another 7 weeks um, and then obviously there's unpaid leave of 14 weeks that you can you, you can avail of as well and your job is kept safe for that period. We'd like to see a situation where uh, you get the full year paid, the 52 weeks uh, of the year paid or, or close to it to give parents that chance to stay at home with the baby mm. as, as long as possible. It'd be a huge cost though in the private sector for that and the public purse. I mean, well, on, the, on, on the public purse certainly but in other countries that's kind of where they went. That's what, what they did. They decided that in terms of uh, supporting the, having a family friendly society, supporting people to have more children. I mean it's one of the things that you know it, it is important overall uh, and to give children the best experience and give parents the best experience. Um, so you, you see a situation and the, the average actually in, in, in continental Europe is two years. So we are some way behind that. So we're on about 33 weeks yeah. cover uh, yeah. for maternity and paternity plus, plus an additional 14 unpaid. Yeah, that's right. So that should give you your your, your, your year at home but really you'd, you'd hope it would all be paid um, by a subsidy by the state and hopefully a top up then from your employer as well to give you as much as much of an opportunity to stay at home with, with your baby. And then as Marion said then there are other state subsidy schemes to support the price of childcare. So the National Childcare Scheme which will go live uh, this September does provide a significant subsidy to families um, uh, trying to avail of childcare. So you get a higher payment if you have a baby in childcare. You get a, a slightly lower payment if your child is in after school, and I think that's going to be very significant just in terms of relieving the high cost of childcare fees in in Ireland. It's a huge 
problem. Uh, we are way behind other countries again in Europe where a lot of the costs are subsidised and paid for by the state. Mm. It's just like primary school, it's education system, the but state I, funds yeah, it. Just explain this for me though, Tanya. This is what I can't figure out. How would this fare out in terms of the providers? Have we got enough providers for this and staff? I think I think one of the, the, the challenges that Marion said, if you think about we're at near full employment at the moment um, and there is a challenge, let's say, in some parts of the country there may not be enough spaces. Um, there has been, as, as Marion said, the ECHE scheme, the preschool year, as often called, it's gone to two years. That's really important for children because um, what you had when the first came in, that second year came in, is children didn't start school as early. And in other countries, what's better for children is they start school a little bit later. So four-year-olds sometimes start school here in Ireland. It would be better if there were five or six, just because of the kind of the um, you're in a bigger classroom mm. structure. There's, you know, there could be 28, 30 children. It's the social piece that young children find more difficult. And you find in countries where you start later, where a child starts later, they do better. They do they do better academically, they do better socially. So we're in a situation here in Ireland is we are way behind what's best for children in early childhood and we're only actually starting to grapple with it in the last 10 years. And is that, would you put that down to the fact, perhaps Marion Quinn, that you know a lot of parents are putting their kids in at that slightly earlier age because they're commuting, there's high costs, there's demand for places... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there is a limited. When, when I was saying they're like under the free preschool year, so when before a child is two years and eight months, there's there's not a huge amount of places that are available. Like the the cost for providing um, for a baby in an early childhood, you know, in a creche, mm. is is huge because the ratio is one to yeah, three. You know, in exactly terms of more staff. So yeah, so and I mean, even though staff are on um, you know very low wages, I mean, it still is labour intensive. You know, in terms of, and obviously, you know, if you've got um, a baby room, you also have to have a cot room so that's extra space that's kind of taken up and that kind of whole feeds into the rates and feeds into insurance you know and all the, the various different costs that are um, associated with having babies in centres so we would have found that um, you know you, you'll have some places that maybe decided that they, they can't actually provide mm. you know the spaces for babies But they don't want um, the young babies they don't want the infants isn't that it? Well it's not that they don't want them they, they actually can't afford to have them in the centre because of the, the, the cost of provision you know for it um, and now I mean I agree with Tanya in relation to that you know the ideal for a baby baby is to, you know, kind of um, be in that kind of supported home environment. And the reality in a creche, and while they can do um, brilliant jobs with children, the reality is there's a, you know, staff turnover of 25%. Now, if you've got a staff turnover of 25%, those relationships that need to build up with the, with mm. the children aren't going to be as strong as what they could or should be, um, which is a reality that we okay. have to face. So when, when we're looking at kind of child-centred provision, unfortunately, the model that we've got at the moment doesn't exactly do that. It's kind of got more labour force activation at its centre than rather than the child itself. I come to the conditions perhaps of, of those working within the childcare sector a little bit later maybe in the programme but just on that point Tanya that Marion mentioned a few moments ago I think it's really interesting that you kind of have you know for a lot of parents they may only get be entitled to or in receipt of the statutory maternity benefit the company they work for maybe in both cases doesn't actually give a top up perhaps the they're on they're not in a position to take the unpaid maternity leave as well so it can see like I know myself many people that are 
basically forced to put their kids in to childcare at a really early age because they they just they can't afford to like. That's right. Um. Uh, and and sometimes you know you could be a lone parent and there's only one wage in the house and you have to go back to work a, a bit earlier. I mean that's just life. Um. And we have to have a system in place to support parents who are stuck in that in that situation. Um. Marion talked earlier about childminders and that again we're a bit behind when it comes to regulation and registration of childminders and actually a lot of children in Ireland are cared for by childminders. Mm. Sometimes it's a it's a it's a family friend, but sometimes it's someone with a degree or a qualification and decided they want to care for children in in their home. And for very young babies, that's probably a, a better solution because you're it's less likely you can get nearly to be exactly because you're yeah. at home. You know, you're with the same person, uh, and you hope that person has uh, you know qualification. Because one of the things I think often people don't realise is that babies start developing from the day that they're born. It's not when they turn five, when they go to primary school. Actually, they're, 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 they're soaking up everything. And the way you behave with the baby as is important when they're one month and two and three months as they are when they're three, three years of age and four years of age. Um, and I suppose what we need to do, I suppose, in Ireland is support more people to come into the fold from a childminder perspective, you know, to register with TUSLA um, and to provide more opportunities for parents. Because what what's good about the National Child Care Scheme is that childminders will be able to receive the subsidy, actually. So if your childminder is registered with TUSLA, um, you'll be able to get that subsidy towards care. Um, and that there's a big job there to be done, I think, by government and the state mm. is to start bringing those childminders in, making sure they have the qualifications and the support they need to do okay. a good job for babies. I'm going to come to the childminder in a moment. Just t- talk to me, Marion, you mentioned it maybe at the outset, just in terms of um, the actual provision of childcare services and particularly, I suppose, the places. I would imagine Dublin, there must be the greatest level of demand in Dublin. There's huge demand in Dublin. Um, but I suppose the thing about there being a huge demand in Dublin means it's it's, it's um, this high density of services in Dublin then as a result, um, service, you know, kind of large services. Um, so, you know, I mean, while while it can be difficult to get the choice that the parent might have wanted, you know, in, in relation to it, um, there there tends to be provision available. It can be even more difficult in more, um, you know, kind of small, smaller urban areas and, and rural areas um, to have a place that's anywhere near your, your own community. Um, I suppose the model is going more towards bigger and bigger services, um, you know, which kind of brings its own mm. its own challenges. Um, but that's not going to work for every place. So if you're, you know, if you are, um, you know, kind of in a more a smaller urban area, there might not be the capacity for having a large service in that space. Um, so the parents might have to travel. It could be 15, 20 kilometres down the road, you know, um, which may, could be in the opposite direction, actually, to where they're going for work or anything. So the, the provision is mixed in terms of like there's a public survey, which, you know, kind of comes out every year in terms of looking at capacity and looking at, um, you know, areas where there might not be sufficient, um, you know, kind of coverage where there's waiting lists. And, and it varies. Um, but Dublin tends to have services available that can kind of pick up the slack in, in at different age groups um, but the smaller urban areas and the rural areas okay. would, would have difficulty there. So more increased demand in Dublin. In terms of the rates the people are paying or the fees if you like Tanya Ward how do they differ across the country? Well, there's this huge variation because if you, as as, as Marion said, the public data will show you what the average is. So, the highest would be um, on average two hundred and thirty euros in the Dunleary Rat Down area, um, and it'll go down to like a hundred. Is that per child per week? Per child per week, and it goes down to something like a hundred and forty a week in Leitrim, and there's huge re- there's lots of reasons why. 
the costs are different. Um, but that's interesting because if we've higher rates, higher availability of demand in Dublin, why is the cost more expensive? Well, you, 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 the rates that you pay, right? So the actual rates that you pay to the council uh, are higher in Dublin, right? And uh, you can see there's a correlation with the the, the rates that uh, organisations and companies are paying uh, alongside the, the the fees and then rent as well. So you know, how half the services will own their own uh, building, but the other half don't, and rent is obviously going to have a big impact uh, on the cost as well. Those fees, 2.30 in Dunleary, as Tanya mentioned, Marion, versus 140 in Leitrim, like it's the guts of 100 quid a week per child. It is, yeah. Um, but as, as Tanya says, I mean, the costs are very different and, and everybody knows that. I mean, when you're mm. trying to buy a house or rent a house or whatever here in Dublin, um, it's hugely prohibitive and the exact same thing is happening in relation to the services. Um, so the costs that are associated with it. I mean, we've, we've got services who talk about their, their the rates that they would pay and these are services like that wouldn't be considered huge. Um, they might have kind of 100 children in them um, and they could be paying 15,000 for rates, you know, alone. And then you add that in terms of the, you know, the cost um, for for all the various different provision which you know the amount of staff that they need to have I mean in lots of places you know the, the public figures will show you that um, it could be up to you know 70-80% of the cost that the parents are, are paying um, is going to you know kind of staff mm-hmm. even though they're on low wages um, so the I suppose when people look at the amount of money that's going into a service they're not really looking at what the, what the cost base is that's behind it um, and it is hugely different in Leitrim than yeah. what will be here in Dublin So this is very specifically I suppose for the creche facility Give me a snapshot or an insight into what's happening Marion in terms of childminding um, offerings and in again, Dublin versus Leitrim, say. Yeah, well, see, it's very different to gauge because there are very few child minders that are actually TUSLA registered. Now, um, because they haven't been required to be TUSLA registered. And as well as that, you have to have, I think it's over three children before you can actually register, um, you know, kind of with TUSLA. So there aren't there aren't definitive figures in relation to um, to what the costs are for child minding um, around the country. Okay. Do we have any anecdotal evidence? I wouldn't. I mean, it ranges, right? So, that the, the, like, they think there's about nineteen thousand childminders, right? That's what they think there is, but because they're not registered, they don't actually know. And again, people are paying different rates. So, if you have a childminder that has a a very early years education or qualification, maybe they were in a centre, you're going to be paying them more because you're you're paying for uh, a qualified trained person. But if you have someone who doesn't have any qualifications and might be caring for a child, uh, maybe it's it, 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 it's it's in their home, you could be paying less per hour. So it really, really depends. And we just don't have the data there to tell us how much it's actually costing. Okay. So but so just to be clear about this, I just want to try and get my head around it. If I decided in the morning that I was going to, you know, quit and pack up and use talk and set up a child minding facility, what do, as a child minder, I should say, not necessarily in a facility, but from my home, mm-hmm. What do I need to do? At the moment, very little. Um, Can I just decide? I have a degree. You don't even need to have a degree. No, I mean, and actually a huge amount of childminders wouldn't have, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, it's maybe they were rearing their own children. They were yeah. taking in a few other children along with it. Or maybe their own children are now gone into school, but they want to be available when their child comes home from school. Um, so they're again, they're, they're doing childminding. Um, and more and more childminders are looking at it as a profession, though. And more, than, more and more of them are going and they're gaining qualification to kind of, you know, um, enhance the experience that they have. Um, but you don't need to do that. You, you have to have a safe space. I mean, you know, I mean, any, any workspace which essentially if your child minding would be um, you know has to be safe you know uh, for the children and for the and for the um, the staff right so the child mind themselves but, but I mean but effective, no okay but effectively what we're saying is that 
anybody can decide to become a childminder in the morning as long as they have a safe space. Do I need to be guard the vetted? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you see, this this is the problem, right? Because, we're like, you know, from a child welfare perspective, they should all be guard the vetted. And not only that, if you're caring for a child in your home, you have to make sure the other people who are in the house are also guard the vetted. We are in a situation where this just that we do have to have regulation if we want to make sure that children are safe. Yeah, I'll come to the regulation part of it maybe in, in a moment, but I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense of, I mean, effectively what we're saying is anybody in the state can set up as a childminder in the morning and the only thing that would really mean I'm deemed without even being registered with TUSLA, but, but you know, looked at as a childminder is, is if I'm paying uh, tax to revenue on my earnings. Yeah, I mean, but you can earn, uh, you can earn, I think, something like 13,000 uh, and, and not pay tax on that. There is a kind of a benefit. So, yeah. and, and it could mean as a childminder, you could be earning more than someone in an early year setting, actually. So they've tried to set it up in such a way that it's actually worthwhile becoming a childminder. Uh, but that's the only thing you need to do. If you're going to declare your income with with revenue, you will be able to earn up to 13,000 euros. So what we need is, we need like a proper system to be put in place where, uh, um, Childminders are requ- are required to register, uh, required to have some sort of education and training to do to do the job, have a safe setting, mm. um, and that they're vetted, uh, and maybe they, they they would have some sort of activities that they're doing with the child. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I, yeah. I mean I have no doubt in my mind. I know of plenty of people over the years who who do childminding and send their kids to childminding, That's and right. they're the absolute best in the world. And yeah. you know, take take the they're well, the children hugely are very responsible, happy. absolutely yeah. in the job they're in. But it just strikes me as being kind of it's somewhat bizarre that, you know, I yeah. could just go out in the morning and really I, I have nothing to do other than there's an onus on me to declare my revenue, that my income yeah. to the tax man. I mean, it would just... Well, I suppose I suppose in Ireland, like, I mean, typically people have looked at, OK, this is something, you know, you can become a parent, you know, anybody can, be, yeah. well, you know, once you refer to that. But I'm not minding somebody parent. else's kids, you know. No, you're not. Um, but I suppose people have looked at it in terms of that, you know, it's a care job, so OK, people can do it. So they didn't kind of consider in terms of, OK, the responsibility or what's required or what's best mm. practice in relation to it. And that's kind of the way it developed, it kind of developed ad hoc. Now, there is an action plan, you know, kind of being developed at the moment in relation to um, Childminder to make sure that the quality of provision and to make sure the oversight of provision you know, is going to be enhanced. I mean, but the difficulty with that is that's going to um, provide increased costs because once you start regulating something and you start looking for a kind of different level of quality and different you know, things that have to be done in the, in the home um, and with qualification requirements and all the rest of it, then it is going to cost more. And then we're kind of looking at, OK, now who pays? Mm. Um, and you'll be hoping that the, you know, with the national childcare scheme that um, some subvention will go towards the cost okay. of that. But whether that will offset the actual cost of provision is a whole different matter. We are going to um, come back in just a few moments time. We do have to take a short break. We've been discussing Ireland's childcare sector in this country at the moment. We'll be back with more from our panel in just a few minutes. Between the Lines on Newstalk. You're welcome back to the second part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today we're discussing Ireland's childcare services. We're looking at what more can be done to try and improve the childcare sector here. Our panel still with us today, Marion Quinn, who's the chairperson of the Association of Childhood Professionals, and also Tanya Ward, who's the chief executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. We spent the first part of the programme today, uh, Marion and Tanya, I suppose effectively just outlining 
what in how the childcare system currently stands at the moment here in Ireland. There's a lot of talk recently in terms of the kind of the new regulation that's going to be brought in for childcare facilities and for child minders as well. Can you just, Tanya Ward from the Children's Rights Alliance, just outline for listeners today, what are these changes and how and why are they even being brought in in the first place? Yeah, so this is in relation to school age childcare or after school, the more commonly, it's more commonly called. Um, there are, yeah, nas- national standards uh, that have been, that have come in. And really, this is another area of provision, really important for families, particularly people getting back into the workplace. It's a place where children can go after, after school um, uh, to be cared for for a couple of hours before they go home with, with, with their parents. Uh, the national standards that, have, that are coming in, um, there is a ratio. And there's been a lot of c- coverage of this in, in the media. And it's saying that you can only care for, uh, let's say, between uh, 12 children um, to one adult. And actually what, what's really interesting about that is the department has produced statistics from a sample of about 400 providers who have now registered because again they were just all registering mm. for the first time so that 85% of them actually had a ratio between one and nine. And so what you've been hearing a lot is a lot of providers saying Oh, this ratio is going to increase costs hugely, but actually, it's not. That's not going to be the norm and the experience for most people throughout the country. And to be frank, from a child welfare and children's rights point of view, having twenty kids together with one person or thirty kids together with one person mm-hmm. is not good. You can't supervise that number of children together. Um, it's not good from a welfare point of view. And some of these operations are a one or a two person uh, enterprise. Um, and if something goes wrong, what are you what are you going to do with that number of children together? Yeah. So just. To- be clear about this I mean we've spent I suppose the first segment of the show today talking about your options if you have an infant effectively Mm -hmm. or a baby or the very very early stages but this scheme you're talking about Tanya this is more specifically to do with now that your kid is in school it's what do you do between perhaps two o'clock and five when the parent finishes work that's right that's right that's the so this is different again this isn't getting people at the early stage this is a little bit later is that right so you have you can go to your your crash you know as as a baby between not to three then you've got the free preschool year then you start school. So your childcare option then is after school clubs and, and care. Um, and it's it, it's commonly called school age mm. childcare. And would it be likely that you'd go back into the same crash that you spent your first kind of three years plus your free preschool? Is that usually where you'd go? Do they so, offer the same facility? Sometimes that can happen. Some some providers do actually provide that and they and they have a, a pick-up service where they bring the child back to the creche. Um, and obviously that suits families. You might have mm. another one or two children in the creche. So you want to have your children be, being cared for um, together. Plus they probably know the childcare facility owners as well. I mean, if they've spent four years there. Yeah, that's right. And and, and I suppose, what like I know my own children, um, when we had our, our, uh, our creche, I mean, my ch- kids, still talk about the crash. they loved it it was like a home from home they want to visit it all the time they still talk about Liz's uh, risotto you know these things yeah, so it's yeah. amazing to see the connection yeah. that they had to the place so you want to create that because actually when children have been asked about after school um, you know, what do you want to do after school they don't want to be in crash care or uh, they certainly don't want to be mm. in school. They actually want to be at home or they want to be outside playing with their friends. So what we have to do is try and create options where they have that kind of freedom because they've been in school, it's been quite structured all day. What they want actually to do after school is they want a bit of headspace, they want to play and they mostly want to play outside. So that's what you're getting now is the, the regulation of the different providers in that space, in, 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 in the after school space. Um, they're all registering at the moment for the first time and 
the national childcare scheme uh, that's been introduced in September, that will give parents a subsidy to pay towards the costs of, of this of, of the okay. after school. And, and just to be clear at the moment as well, Tanya, sorry, this is very separate. You've, you've had your zero to three years, you've had your free preschool, you've gone now to primary school. This is a new additional thing we're introducing. That's right, that's right. There's been a lot of providers already doing it actually around the country. Some of them are actually, they only do that. Actually, that's their main uh, enterprise or, or operation mm. and they do it really successfully. Uh, uh, and then some schools, what they're starting to do is opening up after schools clubs on the school site as well, maybe in a separate building or a, or a separate yeah. facility, but okay. they're trying to organise it nearby for parents. This new childcare scheme, I mean, it sounds, you know, like a fantastic scheme on the outset for somebody <laughs> that doesn't have children. You know, there's there's a huge amount being covered, but is the subsidy that's going to be offered, Marion Quinn, is it going to be enough to help pay for this? No, the subsidy at the, at the moment, you see, this is starting, right? So I suppose it's the first real formal putting together of the various different schemes and, and so it'll be easier to identify well, what exactly parents will be able to um, get, you know, in terms of a subsidy. So um, at the moment, it's not going to make a huge difference realistically in relation to the amount of money that parents are going to save for the simple reason is um, this is the start of a process. It is planned that this is going to be a vehicle that year on year um, there will be increased rates of subsidies, you know, available to parents. I mean, there is the concern, though. I mean, and while Tanya is saying, look, you know, that, that so many providers responded saying they were already meeting the ratio and actually, you know, lower than the ratio of, of the 1 to 12 that's coming in under the regulations. Um, there are services that certainly would have been outside of that ratio. They would mm. have been higher. Um, they might have been 1 to 15. So it's not as though they would have been massively higher, but they could have been 1 to 15. Now, I think it's absolutely a brilliant job and our members would you know, have, have been in touch saying well, it's great that there is going to be the ratio and it's going to be 1 to 12. But I suppose the difficulty is that this came in quite quickly. Um, you know, as opposed to kind of having a lead in times where you were going to, you know, if you were 1 to 15, did you be able to phase it down to, you know, kind of 1 to 14, 1 to 13, 1 to... Well, it's you know, probably kind of an additional staff member by the sounds of things. Well, that's it. And it'll either be, it'll either be um, an extra staff member. If you were, and as I say, I don't mean like if you were 1 to 24, I mean even if you were just over the ratio, mm. it'll either be making a decision that you will have, you know, an extra staff member, in which case there's an extra cost. And then you might decide, OK, well, look, I'll expand and I can take in more after school children. Or we'll be saying, well, actually, I need to go down to 12. It isn't cost effective. So I'm going to need to leave go a staff member and I'm going to you know, not be able to provide the space for those, those yeah. three children. So we don't quite know how it's going to work out for, for simple reason is some of the research in relation to what the ratios were and how many spaces were available in, in school aged childcare were only happening after the scheme was announced. So um, we're not quite sure yet. How Remind this is going us to when the scheme was announced, Marion. Um, well, it was announced, oh gosh, um, 2016 yeah. um, as affordable childcare schemes. Okay. Yeah. But so childcare providers have had three years to prepare for this, then, have they? No. Um, the state said it was going to happen as affordable childcare scheme but in relation to the details the in detail relation to we've the only requirements got in relation though. to anything okay. yeah. so there wasn't but there were, there were guidelines though weren't there uh, one to nine for uh, school age childcare anyway let's say that were I think it's 2005 and some of the providers had had already were using these they were kind of they were kind of suggestive guidelines of how to do best practice the only thing though I, I think with the national childcare scheme is I think some par- parents should feel the benefits of it 
it because I know in the last budget um, the government put about 570 uh, extra million to go into the National Child Care Scheme and I suppose the thing that we welcomed was that in terms of the threshold for getting a full subsidy towards your costs um, it was, most people on the industrial wage or less will get a full subsidy um, to help them pay with the costs of uh, your after school or your Can crash. you give me an idea Tanya what, what's the give me an approximate figure as to what we would be paying for a child to go into the after school care um, facility. Yeah, so... I mean, are we talking the 2.30 per child per week again? No, you're not. It, it should be less because there's less hours because the child is in school, course, let's yeah, say, yeah, yeah four, four, four or five. Um, and they're older as well, so uh, I mean... Yeah, yeah, but let's say myself, I'm paying in the region uh, per child about €90 Euros, uh, per week. Um, okay. Uh, for after for after school, but come September there'll be a subsidy yeah. towards that. Yeah, there'll be a subsidy towards that. If if it depends on your income, you see, because the national childcare scheme is income based, and most people will get some form of subsidy. I think it goes up to a, a combined income of about a hundred grand. So people over that won't won't benefit from it. But people with under that should feel some level of of, of support towards their towards their childcare costs. Now you will ha- hear um, some people saying costs are higher than that though for after school. So some people, parents would say, no, I'm paying about 500 euros in my service for after school because what's happening is that the creche is coming to pick the child up from school um, and they're bringing it back, back to their own facility and then I pick them up over there. So it really depends on the type of service that you have available and whether the service already has the subsidy or not because some of them actually get some support from the state and some of them don't. So this is all with regards to the um, the childcare, the creches, I suppose, of the facilities that are out there. How will childminders now be affected by this new scheme? Well, once they register, so once they are able to register with Tusla, they will be able to avail of the scheme. So it's the same. This is what the I suppose the department are doing. They're trying to get childminders in under the net of being registered with Tusla. The same as school aged childcare that wasn't registered either previously. So by having everybody in and registered under Tusla, then they will be able to. Um, the parents will be able to avail of a subsidy once they're with a Tusla registered provision, whether that's childminder or whether it's centre-based. Do, do have many childminders registered with TUSLA beforehand? I know they didn't have to, but would they have? Yeah, no, they wouldn't. Hard you see, enough. a lot of them couldn't because, um, and I could be wrong on this, but I think it's about you had to have three children or more to be able to register. Yeah, or they could register with the, the local childcare committee as well. So that was another way to kind of get acknowledged by the system. Well, yeah, that was that was yeah. to notify. So yeah, they would yeah, notify yeah. to the childcare committee. So as yeah, in, look, yeah, I'm operating, okay, but they weren't I'm registered an operator, with Tusla. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. wouldn't, in terms of okay. the inspection, you know, whatever. But now we're that. saying that every childminder in the country has to be registered with Tusla. Pretty much to better if they're opting yeah. into the scheme. Yeah, yeah. Only if they're opting into yeah. the scheme. Yeah, like so. That's so right. I mean, now that said, right? Yeah. So you you've got it at the moment that they can register, right? So if for financial reasons, so you know if they're going to avail of the the you know the tax um, uh, exemption, mm. um, so they can do it that way. But other than that, if they don't choose to avail of the scheme, the national childcare scheme, so so the parents might decide, well, actually, it's not going to benefit me hugely yet, right? And you know, there's potential increase in terms of cost, so um, you know, we're not going to do it. So. The, you know the the childminder and the parent talks about it, and they decide. Well, actually, it's not going to be of benefit to do it. Well, that childminder doesn't need to register with um with anybody um at the moment. But we don't know what's going to happen in terms of the action plan. There is an action plan for childminders happening, um, and so how tight that will be, or who it will require to register. Um, if it says, look, absolutely everybody has to register, even if you're, you know, um caring and educating one child in your own home Mm. um, we don't know yet Does it concern either of you at all that I mean we have childcare providers childminders operating and they will never have to be on a list anywhere 
Does that, is that, oh, yeah. is that a problem for people? I mean, I mean, in one way, yes, because what we know is that, you know, good quality childcare is fantastic for children. Mm-hmm. They develop, they, you know, develop great relationships. They're they're able to learn when they go, go to primary school. But bad quality childcare is really harmful to children. You know, it's, it's like a form of abuse, you know, and neglect, essentially. And it is a concern, I suppose, that there would be children being cared for around the country and we don't know whether they're getting a good quality service or not. And parents are really left to work it out themselves you know they have to to, to work out what's going on with, with and so you know parents need this bit of support and children need a bit of support and I think let's say with the national childcare scheme it's a good carrot actually to bring people into yeah, the fold yeah. and, and probably you know, streamlines you know in terms of as you mentioned the level of education and services that are on offer everyone's right. getting the same yeah like. that's right I mean and, and childminders are holding up the economy as well, right? That's the other side of it. They, they are prov- providing a system to allow parents to get back in, into the workplace. So they're really important for what they're doing for the for the overall economy as well. And from a child perspective, like the ideal thing that children really benefit from is, you know, the three hours of sessional care where they're get, with, with a group of other children, getting to do activities together and then being at home and potentially with their parent or a childminder, that's what they want to do. They want to play and hang out at mm-hmm. home. And so you can see how childminders are, are really important from, from a child's point of view and from the parent's point of view as well. So it's, it's it's certainly an area, I think, where the government does need to get this action plan published and try and get as many childminders registered and supported as much as possible. But there's one thing that we need to look at with the, with the National Child Care Scheme. Like, so it's up to 40 hours, you know, um, subsidy that, that would be subsidised um, per week. Um, but... If say if it's school age childcare, um, uh, when the child is you know getting availing of their you know their early child the free preschool year what mm. people call it, that's fifteen hours per week that'll be taken off that forty hours or if the child is in primary school um the the primary school is counted as already being subsidised um because the parent is not paying while the child is in school um so it'll be between twelve and seventeen hours that the parents will actually be subsidised per week so that's what I'm talking about it won't actually necessarily um you know be a substantial uh, amount of money for for the parents. Now, when the child is out of the school age childcare, as in during holiday time, so summertime and stuff like that, then the parents, you know, um, provided their their income as such, and um, they will be able to avail of forty um, hours of, of subsidy per week. So, you know, so that your school time long. is taken out of this. Yes, it is. As, as is your free. Um, I'm doing inverted commas here. Now, free childcare. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, uh, for the ECCE scheme. Yeah. So yeah, and which, that's which, that people which, starting to realise. Which does Tiny make awards. sense, right? Can it, like, well, it doesn't uh, if you're announcing it as forty hours of subsidy per week. My you're, you're understanding not, actually yeah. was that it was an additional forty. 40. Well, especially that's when why you I look thought at, it was. I said it was. It sounds like a great scheme. Well, it is. And when you look at children coming in, like for some children, it'll be they were in for a breakfast club beforehand, so it could be an hour, an hour and a half, you know, before school, along with after school. So people might say, "Oh, look, sure, the child is coming out of school at half one." It can only be half one to half six anyway. That's five hours. But they could actually be in for an hour, an hour and a half in the morning for yeah. a breakfast club as well. So if you look at that, that's six hours, six, five, 30. That's 30 hours. But you'll get you'll get a subsidy maybe for um for 17 hours or 12 if the child is, you know, in an mm. older class. Tanya Ward, do you think yeah. it's 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 good in the grand scheme of things? Though? Well, I mean, I, I, I think in, as a matter of principle, like let's say if you are in school, then obviously you shouldn't. You're not paying for the, the state shouldn't be paying for childcare. Oh, yeah. But I, w- I would agree with Marion that you know maybe we need to look as the subsidy high enough to cover the amount of hours that a child might be um, in a facility. So let's mm. say they could be in the breakfast club, or the parent could be travelling. Um, well, that's the other. Yeah. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you about yeah. next was, I mean, it's all fine and dandy if there's a facility in your area that does yeah, this or stays right. open as late as you want. So there's probably 
you know, difficulties maybe for one or two parents in a catchment who are commuting maybe from Kildare to Dublin yeah. or whatever. Like. Yeah, and so, so so I think I think one of the things we need to push for in the next budget, instead of the 40 hours available, maybe 45 hours are available to try and cover the, the travel time that parents might be making. And again, in terms of that after school, making sure there's enough hours, let's say, that the, again, the parents might be able to pick the child up to later in, in the afternoon. I think that's going to be, be very important. But probably the, 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 the next phase of where this all goes um, I know we're probably talk about terms and conditions of the staff mm. but I think one of the things we need to look at is where is supply because well, I was going to ask yeah, you it's fine yeah. having all these with 40 hours and we're going to be looking for 45 hours yeah. and all of this but have we got the staff to to actually do this work well, there's enough people qualified to do the work, right? So every year in terms of coming through the colleges and all the rest of it. But we're, we have a huge retention issue. I mean, 25%. You mentioned 25%. 25% yeah. of staff turnover. Um, so that's one in four, you know. Um, so they leave centers. after how long, Marion? Well, it varies. Um, so you've got people who are leaving after two, one, two years, you know. Um, like I, I teach in, in college on a, in, in Cork IT on an early years degree programme. And uh, you've got our students, you know, when they go out into the workplace. Um, and they're, they're quite surprised, you know, as even though we tell them but they're quite surprised mm. about the reality of working in it in terms of the wages I mean you know for some people it's, it's little more than um, you know the minimum wage not mind a living wage um, but you've you've also got then people going go I love the job I love the work I didn't get into it you know to you know to make money I I'd imagine but, that. Yeah. but you have to make an mm. income you have to be able to afford your rent your your um, mortgages your whatever um, so we find that as they're in it for a few years and they're seeing God I can't afford life I, I wouldn't they would not be able to afford children they would not be able to afford mortgage and they would not be able to afford the rents that are, are there now um, they can't afford to stay in it so that's that's when they leave now there is you know there is other jobs kind of in early childhood you know which are support jobs so specialist supporting quality and services you know childcare committees etc some people leave and go into that but I suppose and at least you can see their, their qualifications and experience being used for the benefit of children and families but what's really heartbreaking is when they leave they're going into retail and hospitality which are already known for being poor wages but for the people in early childhood um, care and education, that's seen as a high wage, you know, because it is the poorest paid um, sector that, that we have um, in this country. Um, and that's not good mm. enough. This is the earliest stage in a child's life. Okay. And it's hugely important. If my, I suppose, I imagine if I'm a childcare provider listening to this today, Tanya, I'm probably thinking, well, in order for me to be able to pay, you know, Andrea, my staff member, more money, I'm going to have to hike up the costs. How do we get around that? Or we, you get more funding from the state to help with the pay, help pay with the with the salary. Um, I think that's one of the key things. If you look in, in primary school, it's actually the state that pays the salaries of the teachers. Mm. Um, and I think this is one of the things we need to think about is how to get pay to the workers because even if the state at the moment, this moment in time, one of its challenges, even if it increases the subsidy to uh, early early year settings, they've no guarantee that that's going to translate to higher wages with it for the 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 childcare workers, and they're trying to hold on to them. Like the state is funding people to go off and do degrees and further education and qualifications, and the challenge is then trying to keep them. Mm. So I mean, there's a big piece here where, which needs to be resolved, and it's around the terms and conditions of the staff in, in terms of holding on to them. Because as Marion said, you know, the best thing for children is you don't have 25 percent turnover. That you need to have the same relationships with the same people and build them up. That's how children really benefit mm. and, and grow and develop. Okay, just what about the idea of a state-run childcare system in the same way as we have primary school? I mean, 
should, is that something you that you'd be in favour of in terms of the association of childhood professionals, Marion Quinn? Like, is it, that a way? It's something this? that certainly would need to come into the mix. I mean, when we're looking at it now, that's it. <laughs> when is it going to come into the mix? Um, the, I suppose creches and um, you know preschools and all the rest of it started up in in the p- private domain because the state weren't taking responsibility for it. So this is where people kind of stepped in, and you know they kind of did it. It's almost like little cottage industries in their own homes, you know, and it kind of gradually grew for that. And I suppose the more we learned about the importance of those first years in a child's life, um, the more emphasis starting to be putting on it. So it started becoming more structured, you know, in terms of qualifications, in terms of curriculum, in terms of all that sort of thing. Um, but the state again wasn't investing in it and it mm. was very much was that uh, that parent you know um, provider relationship um, things have changed greatly now in terms of what the requirements are you know wh- how you need to provide you know further services and um, the relationship you need to have with the parents the partnership um, I suppose so it is becoming more and more that it's you know not feasible in the type of model that we've got now the model of provision um, so you I think into the discussion of it does need to come, you know, the state responsibility and, and maybe state, okay. majority state funding. Tony Ward, just on that particular point, before we take a short yeah. break, the idea of yeah. a perhaps possible potential at some stage introduction of a state run. Yeah, I mean, if you look at other countries how they've done it, like, you know, actually in continental Europe, most of the provision is actually state run. And the, the private provision is your elite early years schools. That's actually what it looks like in other countries. And in Ireland and the UK, because... In the, these because we chose not to develop early year systems of education, they ha- they just emerge through parental demand. Um, so I do think you know down the line it's something should, we should be thinking about. And I think overall there's probably a big reform program within this area. Mm. So let's mm. say you want to make sure that an early year setting is a small home like environment. That's what's best for children. Okay. That's what they love. It's very hard for those centres though to operate. They probably need to merge. I think going down the road to be able to operate on. on that basis. Okay, it's an interesting point. We're going to just have to take a very short break. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We've been discussing the country's childcare sector. We're looking at the various different services and how they can be improved. Our panel still with us, Chairperson of the Association of Childhood Professionals, Marion Quinn, and Tanya Ward, who's the Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. A new survey out earlier this week from the, um, the the Living and Working in Europe survey, it showed that we scored well here in Ireland overall in terms of the EU survey and quality of life and work. We actually came in seventh position, which I believe behind Scandinavians, Austria, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. But in terms of, of, in terms of childcare um, as a standalone item, the state is an outliner as the prohibitive cost of childcare means that the quality and rating assigned by consumers in Ireland is just 5.9% out of 10 compared with an overall rating of 7 out of 10 right across the EU. Are you surprised by that, Tanya? No, I'm, I'm <laughs> not surprised at all because if you look at the costs that parents uh, have been paying, I mean, I myself, and when I calculated what I paid for my two children when they were through our, our, our crash, and our crash was by far not the most expensive, I paid something like €36,000. Um, and it kind of shocked me because I was like, God, I could have paid off a chunk of the mortgage. Yeah, so, yeah, so I was thinking something something like that. And that's what's, that's what's happening for parents. And one of the things it does, does, does mean for a lot of families, it doesn't mean they have less children because they just can't afford mm. it in the years where you have your your children, 
just can't afford to have the third child because of, of the costs. Um, that's why I think the national childcare scheme is going to be very important. I, I, I'd love, I, I'd be really interested to see that survey once that scheme is introduced and parents are actually is availing of it. Yeah, does it does it bring down the overall costs for parents and are they happier and more satisfied with what they're getting as a result? I think that's going to be a really important thing to see. We need to we need to look at in Ireland here that um like the investment has been historically low right and even though the minister kind of talks you know but the huge increases that have happened in in mm. to childcare over the last number of years it's coming from a hugely low basis but it's also been about increasing the number of children who are able to avail of spaces yeah. so you know the the preschool free preschool year going from one year to two years so it doesn't mean that it's making it more sustainable it just means that more children are able to access it and that creates a difficulty in terms of provision so if we're saying oh look there's been an extra 100 million you know invested in early years you might think well this is huge and it's going to be you know very beneficial to parents and very beneficial to the providers but you've got to think it's about the more children have been accessing we it. should also say though all of these kids going into childcare facilities it's a great sign of the economy i mean we've more people back at work you know, on the plus side, yeah, like. that 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 it, it does signify that. Um, and we and we we're we're near full employment at the moment, so it's probably increased. It's not to be, you know, it's expected, yeah, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? But but from the child's perspective, it's really positive as well because then three hours of sessional based care a day for a child, it's actually great in terms of their, their own outcomes because we know that kids that do get go get to go to a good crash get a great experience. You know, they do really well once they land in school, mm. and the kid that missed out on it, uh, they're behind and. So so it's, it's a real equaliser, I think, in terms of uh, Irish just, society. Just on a couple of final points, we scored 5.9 on this survey. Uh, probably no shock, Sweden came at 8.1. Um, I mean, and look, we always talk about the sort of the flagship, you know, countries as being the Scandinavians in, in, in terms of how they deal with childcare. We're not comparing like with like, though, because they've an entirely different, you know, tax and welfare system as well. But is there are there anything or is there anything you think just finally, perhaps to you both today that, you know, ahead of budget 2020, we'll have that in early October, our budget for next year. Is there anything that can be kind of taken from the Scandinavian models and incorporated into what we're doing at a sort of a fairly basic level? Well, it's looking at a funding model and it's it's also looking at societal perception in relation to what's happening in the early years. So in Ireland, we continue, you know, we had the broadband roll out there recently, you know, in terms of our potential about how much it was going to cost, like, Mm. you know, in terms of billions. Um, That was seen as an investment in our future. Okay, there is every sort of argument available for investing in young children um, in terms of from neuroscience, in terms of economic, in terms of social, in terms of emotional, in terms of justice system. So there's a huge argument there for investing now and reaping later if you want to put it in in economic terms. So we have to start changing um, that mindset in Ireland and realising that we need to preload this. We need to invest in these years and children, you won't be needing that, you know, um, preventative measures Later on, you know, and um, because this is is an early intervention, so we have to realise. I suppose it's that mindset, is that it's that changing that mindset at a societal level, and that might seem like, oh look, that's a, you know, how are you going to do that? Can we not just kind of throw money at it? Mm. But unless we start at that piece of work, you'll continue to invest money in, but you won't be able to have the quality. You won't be able to meet the children's needs, and we've got to start separating out labour activation and what parents' needs are, as well as looking at what where children, um, what what's best for them at, at this stage and um, as Tanya said in terms of the security for a child having the relationships having the attachment at early age means that they will develop you know as as 
potentially as, as more confident, um, more emotionally stable beings. And we're looking in, in society in terms of Ireland about the increase in terms of, you know, kind of issues with mental health yeah. and well-being. Yeah. Um, this is where it starts. Okay. You know? yeah. And even even with the National Child Care Scheme, I mean, we're seeing that some families, you know, um, who are at disadvantage currently, um, they some families, and it's not a huge amount of figures, but they will be losing out to the National Child Care Scheme. So in terms of some of the, the provision that's already available to their child, there will be lesser provision for them, you know, um, in terms of the amount of hours that they will be able to access and subsidies. So again, we've got to be looking, why are we doing things? Are we doing it for labour activation? Are we doing it for the best for the child, which ultimately is the best for society? Okay. Tanya Ward, we'll give the final word to you today. Somebody has to have it labour activation or the best welfare if you like or the welfare of the child how do we get the balance right in budget 2020 well I think if you always have the child the best child's best interests at heart I think you, you'll never get it wrong I mean I think that's the key um, and I completely agree with Marion in relation to this um, at the same time the state has to think about trying to you know encourage people to get back into the workplace because from, even from a child poverty point of view like when parents are working you find there's just more income at home and they can actually keep their head above water uh, if that happens I agree with Marion though, we, we, we're moving from historically low levels of investment and we haven't valued children's early years. That's that's the reality of it. We see we think a crash is just a place to leave a child when the parent is at work and we have to get rid of that mindset. We start we need to start thinking of early years provision a bit like primary school. It's as vital and fundamental as primary school. And I hear too, too many times I hear someone say, I don't have any kids, why do I have to contribute yeah. towards this? I have to say, you know, yeah. there is a huge school of thought of people who will say to you, you know, they don't have kids. Why should they be paying higher taxes to, you know, help fund people with children? Like yeah. if people have kids, maybe they should. But you don't have kids. kids, and you've got p- children in primary school as well. Like the the truth is, you know, you want, you know, in terms of giving ch- every child an opportunity and a chance to develop and flourish early years provision that's accessible mm. and affordable and good quality is the way to go. It's been a really interesting conversation and I hope uh, listeners have been able to take something from that. We will bring people more details of course as we get more details of the nuts and bolts of the new scheme as well for the coming school year. My thanks to you both for joining us. Marion Quinn who's the chairperson of the Association of Childhood Professionals and also Tanya Ward the Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. If you've missed any of the programme you can download our podcast on our website at newstalk.com or search in iTunes and as always, you can get in touch with us today on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. My thanks to the production team, Stephen Jordan and Simon Keane. I'll be back again with Between the Lines this time next week and also with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from six. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day. Between the Lines on News Talk.